morning, everyone. How are you all doing in the middle of the summer? Who's been on vacation already? Who's going on vacation? Who wishes they were going on vacation? All right, most of us. All right. Uh, well, we are, this piano is really close, Tyler. I feel, I feel as if it's almost in the center, so it's probably to stop me walking, so I'm going to lean on it. Um, we, we, are, we are in the middle of a series called Make, and Make is a series that Ben, myself, and the campus pastors are going to be here teaching through that is based on the, what Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28 when he tells them to go in at all the world and to make disciples, make disciples. And so it's about finding principles of discipleship each week, trying to find a, a new or different principle of discipleship. And that's based on looking at someone in the Gospels and their life and drawing from their life a particular principle of discipleship. And so this week, um, the principle of discipleship I'm going to be speaking about is the one called trading. How many of you have ever heard of the principle of discipleship called trading? T-R-A-D-I-N-G, just so you know, I'm actually saying the word trading. Okay. All right. As, as opposed to something else. And the person that we're going to look at is an unknown person who is in the parable uh, that Jesus tells about the talents. And so he doesn't even have a name. Uh, Jesus calls him the good and faithful servant, and he's the first of the three men referenced in that parable. And so before we come to reading the text, can we pray? And then I'm going to read the text, which is taken from Matthew 25, 14 to 30. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for this opportunity to gather, and Lord, we sit at your feet, and we desire to hear your words in these moments. God, open the eyes of our understanding to perceive you, Lord, what you are saying to each of us, Lord, what you are saying to us as a congregation. May we hear you clearly, Lord, and what we hear, Lord, may it take root in us, Lord, and added to faith, Lord, may it grow to be fruitful in us, Lord, and through us. Guide us in these moments, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, and if you don't, uh, and you want one, just raise your hands, but I'm sure that most people have one on the phone so we can get to texts. Let's read together. Matthew 25, 14 to 30. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also, but he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, how long do you think that was? After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said, Lord, you delivered to me too. Look, I have gained two more talents beside them. 
His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your, of your Lord. Then he who'd received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there, what you, you have, what is yours? But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have sown, not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away and cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this is a parable Jesus tells. Um, Matthew 26 tells us that this is a few days before the crucifixion. And so there are a series of other parables that Jesus tells about the same time, and they include the parable of the, the, the virgins who do or don't get oil for their lamps. You've heard that parable. And the parable of the sheep and the goats, you've heard that parable? Yes. Yeah, all right. You're going to have to be a little vocal because we're coming to a part here that says, do this with the congregation. Um, and, so, and so it's going to be a, a back and forth thing. And I'm not going to get very far if, if, if everyone's not quite as vocal as, as, as you could be. Um, and, and so I, I began to wonder that if, if these parables are towards the end of the book of Matthew, that the writer seems to be a, re, recalling them as things that Jesus said towards the end of his time on earth. And Matthew 28, when we come to the thing that we call the Great Commission, go into all the world because all authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. I wonder whether if that is the what to do, that this and some of the other things in the other parables were some of the how to do it. So go into the world, make disciples. How? How? And I'm not speaking about the practical aspect of making a disciple. I'm talking about the attitude that leads to the making of disciples. And so perhaps this parable that Jesus tells that is about the same time as, as he says these other things that are setting the disciples up for, for his departure, as we saw in this parable, he says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who's going to go somewhere. He's going to go on a journey. Do you think Jesus was telling them that he is the man who's going to go somewhere? And I asked you for a long time, how long is Jesus going to be gone before he returns? Does anybody know? No one knows. A long time. And so, and so I wonder whether when these disciples began to reflect on this parable, they thought, hmm, maybe he was talking to us. Maybe that parable, unlike maybe some of the other ones when Jesus took them inside and they said, Lord, we heard you tell the people outside the parable. Can you tell us, please, what, was it? what does it mean? Maybe he didn't tell them the meaning of this one. Maybe they pondered it. And as they pondered it, they reflected and thought, so, so there's a... a, 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 a a man who travels somewhere, and before he goes, he, he gives people something. Now, there's a show called America's Got Talent. Is that what it's called? All right. <laughs> you can tell I watch it a whole lot. Um, and, and, and so the word talent has come to mean something these days. 
I thought I'd spend some time trying to update the parable, and I need your help to do that. Okay, so when I looked up what a talent was, the first thing I saw is, is that it is a measurement of weight. Who knew that? All right, so a talent is a measurement of weight, and if you Google it, you can see people arguing about precisely how much this uh, measurement of weight actually is. But, but it doesn't matter. It's, it's a measurement of something, so we're measuring. So Jesus gives them something that's measurable by weight, okay? Not a talent, like something that you'd go on TV and, and, and dance and do that stuff. He's, he, in the parable, he gives them something measurable by weight. Um, now, I'm going to give a disclaimer here. Are there any financial experts amongst us, people who would consider themselves, like, who earn a living from advising people about finance? All right, this is my disclaimer. I don't know a whole lot about what I'm about to do here. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but Because but, I'm not an expert, but we're going to do it anyway. All right, so... This I know, Google will tell you, and Google is faithful and trustworthy, <laughs> that, that, that if the talent was measured in gold, it would have been worth about, one talent would have been worth about one and a half million dollars. All right. So the weight of a talent in gold would have been worth one and a half million dollars. But it's more likely, many people say, that it was a talent of silver. So you're getting a sense of the parable. Jesus gives them talents of, let's say, silver, because I think it's easier for us to work with, with the smaller amount. And a talent of silver, I understand, is worth about $20,000. So five talents of $20,000 is how much? $100,000. Okay, so we're getting someone. This is helping us understand the parable. So Jesus seems to give one man $100,000. Here's $100,000. And to the second man, he gives two talents. Two times 20,000 is, this stuff's easy, $40,000. And to the last man, he gives one talent, $20,000. And so if I'm the man that got 100, or if you're the man that got 20, or if you're the man or woman that got 10, what are you thinking at this time? Are you beginning to think, that's a lot? Maybe. Are you beginning to think, why did I get half what he got? Okay, why did I not get as much as either of those two got? So maybe some of those things are beginning to play in the beginning of this parable. But, but let's look at what happens next. And let's talk about investing. This is the bit I don't know anything about. If you want to turn $100,000 into $200,000, which is the 100% increase, how would you do that? So if you put it in a bank, how much interest? What's the best regular checking, savings account, bank interest you're going to get today? Two and a half percent. Let's round it up a little bit. Let's say it's magic and it's three percent. It's going to take you 24 years with compound interest to turn 100000 into $200,000. How much risk is there involved in putting your money in a safe American bank? Essentially none, someone said, okay? So if we went back, and, we, and so when Jesus comes back, he said the least you could have done was that. But there's somebody who doesn't even do that. In this parable, there's a man who, what does he do? He digs a hole in the ground. Now, is that the zero risk thing, to put your money in a hole in the ground? Or is there some risk attached to that? There's risk attached to that, why? Wild animals can come and, come and dig it up, or someone could be watching you hiding in the bushes, and the second you've gone, come dig it out, and you come back, and it's gone. All right? 
Okay, so we want to do better than 2.5%. How would we do that? How would you get 10% interest annually? Real estate investment? A lottery ticket? All right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Absolutely. That's... that's uh, uh, what, 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 what else could we do? We, we could, you could invest in some financial instrument like a stock or a bond, a government bond maybe, yeah? And if you kept your money there for a certain amount of time, you'd get better than bank interest. Is that true? Is that accurate? I'm looking for a nod from the financial people. Thank you. If you wanted to do better than 10%, how would you do that? You increase your risk. So if you increase your risk, what's becoming more likely? but you lose it. So to gain more, you've got to be willing to lose more, maybe. And I remember seeing these disclaimers that said the prices of stocks can go up and down. Now you could go and get, and I checked this this week, you could get 27% annually if you put your money in Turkish government bonds. Absolutely. Now you laugh, why do you laugh? Because you can get a higher rate of interest, but the risk has also gone up, because the risk you have is that when you come back, if you actually get your 27%, what's the chances of something else that's gone in is that the currency valuations may have changed, and so you may have put in 100,000, but when you come to convert it back into dollars, you may only be getting, even if it's gone up 27%, you lose that way. You want to turn 100% into 1,000%, how do you do that? How do you do that? Or the lottery ticket. But if we were sitting here with a man in the front row whose name was Zuckerberg, and he was telling us, I got this idea about this thing that's going to connect all the world, whether they like it or not, and I need anyone got $1,000 to be an angel investor, and if you put $1,000 now in, might work, might not work, and you'd put $1,000 into the beginnings of Facebook, it will be worth what now? Would you have got your 1,000%? Google, early days when these guys were writing this algorithm, you put your money in then, what would you have got now? Lots, IBM, Apple, Uber, Airbnb. And what's going on with those things is you're talking about a kind of investing that is not obvious, right? If you invest in a Broadway musical, 90% of them fail. But the truth is that the biggest entertainment ventures in the world at the moment are not movies, they're Broadway musicals. The Phantom of the Opera, Les Miserables, Hamilton. Made more money than the Titanic or Avatar, all of those things. But with a 90% failure rate, is that a wise investment? Unless it works. <laughs> and then if it works, because if Lin-Manuel Miranda had been sitting down here and he said, I got this little crazy idea about this Alexander Hamilton thing and it's rap, you're like, seriously? <laughs> Give me $1,000 and I'll turn it into magic gold, gold dust. And you would have said, what would we have said? Yeah, okay. But then we see him performing for HBO at the White House, which is what happened. And all of a sudden, he had one song at the time. And some people thought, I'm going to say, I see something. He did nothing else at the time. How much would it be worth now, your $1,000? Millions. Risk nothing, gain nothing. Risk a little bit, 
gain a little bit more. Risk a lot, maybe gain a lot. That's what I think this parable is saying to us. I know, I know a man who invests in racehorses and builds cell towers in places where he anticipates them building houses years after he built the cell towers. Speculative. Chance of an upside. And I wonder if you take those principles and update the parable in that way and you come back to it and you think, so what is Jesus saying to us about risk and working and trading that is helpful to us in the kingdom. But before we come to that, one of my favorite shows is uh, Malcolm in the Middle. Um, I don't know, any people like Malcolm in the Middle? All right, so you know that Reese is not the smartest person in the house. So for those of you who don't know Malcolm in the Middle, there's a family and there's a dad who's neurotic, a mother who's dealing with the neurotic and the crazy boys. Um, and Reese is one of the kids, and he's not the smartest kid. One of the stories, I think it was called evacuation, they get a new couch. And because they get a new couch, they decide to take the old couch to the dump. And they put the couch on the top of the car, and they drive to the dump. They get to the dump, they look on the roof of the car, the couch isn't there. Um, where did the couch go? They find out later that the couch fell on the train tracks. The train coming down the tracks, was carrying toxic waste, it derails the train. The whole community has to move into a school. <laughs> it's a great episode. And so, what happens is, Reese announces, and I'm trying to read the words, he says, he says to Malcolm, Malcolm, I'm building a new future. And what Reese does is, he's wandered through the school and he's found this open closet, and in the closet is this pile of cups. And so he takes the cups, and Malcolm's thinking, what the heck are you doing? And later, he finds a man who wants a cup in this evacuation center. So he has something the man wants. The man has something that he doesn't need, which is a pile of canned fruit. Reese says, give me all your canned fruit for one cup. Fair trade? Well, I don't need the fruit. Take the cup. Reese trades the, can of fruit, the, the cans of fruit for batteries. Later trades the batteries for DVDs. And later goes to the school janitor and trades the DVDs for the entire supply of toilet paper in the place. And I've got to read this because this was the quote. He said that once the specially seasoned meatloaf works its magic, I can name my price. <laughs> now, would Jesus have told a story like that? But if he had, what would he have been saying? Trade. Do something. Look for opportunity. And he actually does tell a parable about an unjust steward um, in Luke 16, where there's a steward who effectively, the rich man has a steward and is accusing the steward of wasting his goods. And so he says to him, what's this I hear about you? You've been wasting my goods and you're about to be fired. You're going to lose your job. And so the steward says to himself, hmm, my master's going to take my job away. And he says, it says in Luke 16, verse 3, he says, I can't dig. So he's no good with his hands. He says, I'm too ashamed to beg. But he sees a need coming. And so what does he do? He goes to Adam and says, Adam, you owe my master $100,000. What shall we say you actually owe him? 50? 
15. I heard 15, okay. So I write down Adam owes him 15. Tedrick, you owe him $20,000. What should we say you owe him? 50 bucks, did I hear you say? 50 bucks is what's in the book, and so on and so forth. And he changes the book. Now, you would think that Jesus would then turn around and say, how terrible that is, how fraudulent, how bad that is. Does he say that? He doesn't. He says, the master commends the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly, verse 8 of Luke 16. And this is when it gets difficult. And so like Reese, who's trading with nonsense and making something that's worth something, like the unjust steward who's trading with a view to looking after himself in a way that might be shrewd and might be fraudulent, Jesus turns and says to those of us of the kingdom, you aren't even this good with kingdom things. Because the sons of this world are more shrewd with things that are worthless, that don't matter, that are valueless, that are going to perish with time, than you are with kingdom things. And so I think... That's when it begins to hit home a little bit because we then think, oh, hang on a sec then. If I watch people spending hours working out investment opportunities and what to invest in and what to risk in and what not to risk in, and, 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 and if idiots like Reese in Malcolm in the Middle can see an opportunity and make his way through to being the, the, the sole owner of all the toilet roll in the place in a way that seems fraudulent, how much better should we be with kingdom things? A little bit better? A lot better, massively better. If Jesus says to his disciples, this is what I want you to do, this is how I want you to be, is there any sense of an issue that we have? Is it wrong for him to expect us to work with what he gives us? Is it wrong for him to expect there to be some kind of increase. So how is it then that one man turns around and says, you came back and you're expecting something and therefore because I knew you were harsh and unjust, I just hid it. How can that be? Why does Jesus have so much of an issue with it? Let's just dig a little bit into this. Because Jesus, remember, what's the risk that he took? Little bit of risk? 3% bank interest risk, 10% bank, 10% risk, 27% Turkish government bonds risk, 1,000% Hamilton investment risk, bigger than all of those things? I would say so. To leave heaven, to be born as a child, to walk earth amidst people who he knows he's going to provoke into wanting to kill him. To choose a bunch of men who, when he comes to them, they ain't even doing well at fishing, are they? Because in the parable, not in the parable, in the story, when Jesus calls them, they've fished how long? All night. They've caught what? Nothing. And Jesus has to say to them, see, even in the risk in this, he says, just one more time. Just do it one more time. Take one more. Let your nets down again and see if you find something. Take a risk. 
built into the way Jesus teaches them. It's built into everything that Jesus says to them all the way through his walk with them. And so he comes to the end and he says, now I'm going away. Same thing. Just like me, risk. Just like me, trade. Just like me, work. Just like me, do something. Do something. So that when I see you again, you won't say to me, I have what you gave me. Here it is back. Because he would say, well, what did I give it to you for then, if you're just going to give it back to me? What do we have? What have we got? Financial resources? Intellect? Time? Abilities? Who gives us these things? God Almighty. Scripture says that every good and every perfect gift comes from the Father. Every good thing you have comes from God. And so look at that. If what God has given you is good, do you think that there's something inherent about what God gives you that is almost bound to cause and lead to increase if you just do something with it? Just something. Does God give duds? Would God give you something that you couldn't use? Would God give you something that you are incapable of knowing what to do with it? Would God give you more than you can bear? Would God give you less than you should have? But aren't these the sort of things that we have issues with God about? Really? I feel it. That this thing that you've called me to do is actually quite hard. I'd rather that. Or this thing that you gave someone else to do looks more interesting than what you gave me to do. Can't I have that instead? Or I'd rather not do these four things. I'd rather just do that thing. Or it's become difficult because of this thing you've given me. Therefore, can't I just trade it for the thing that he or she has because that looks a lot easier to deal with? Are those the sort of things that you say? Because they're the sort of things I say all the time. God gives good gifts. To his children. But this is the most important thing I want to take for the principle of trading. God himself is good. One man turns around and says to God, says to the master, you, wicked, you were wicked and lazy. He doesn't actually use those words, but what he says is, I knew that you would come back and you'd expect something from me that you hadn't given me, which is wicked and lazy, isn't it? If I give you something and come back and say, give me more than, 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 I, than I gave you, you're like, why? Jesus says to him, you wicked and lazy servant. Isn't that weird that the man's own sense of God was what the Lord said he was? Whereas in contrast, you have two men, good and faithful, good and faithful. Do you think that the reason that they worked hard and traded was because they got this point? that God is good. God is good. For me, underlying this whole parable is that one point. God is good. I've given you $100,000. God is good. So the good God gives you something. Our natural response is then, bury it. 3% interest, at least. 10% interest, maybe. More risk, more risk, more risk. 
And the wonderful thing we have in the kingdom is this, is that in the world, risk is this variable that we can't really deal with. We don't know the extent of risk. We can try and work out what it is, and we can, we can try and hedge against it and all those things. But in the kingdom, there's this thing called faith. What is faith? Scripture defines faith as evidence and substance. Evidence of things not seen, substance of things that we hope for. So we have this substantive faith upon which we work. Noah. How risky was it to build a boat when there'd been no rain? In which the Lord you heard said, you're going to save the whole world from something that hasn't ever happened before. What was the risk for Moses' parents when hearing this edict of the Pharaoh, they look at their child and see something special about him and say, you know what? We're going to hide him away. Is there risk there for kingdom things? Not toilet paper and gym things. Not looking after yourself when you're fired, but kingdom things. If you go through the whole of the Old Testament, how much risk is there to walk around the walls of a city? Just to walk around the walls of the city, is that it? Just walk around the walls of the city. All the way through the whole of the Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament, you're going to find again and again kingdom people taking kingdom risk because they are betting because of the faith they have. They're doing things because of the faith they have in God who is good. But God doesn't always make it easy. There's a story that Jesus tells in Matthew, and this is quite hard. It's the story of the Canaanite woman who, in Matthew 15, verse 22, comes to Jesus and she cries out, Lord, have mercy on me. And she's crying out, Lord, have mercy on me because she has a demon-possessed daughter. And the scripture says, he doesn't even answer her. Imagine that. Lord, have mercy on me. My daughter's demon-possessed. And you look at Jesus and he didn't hear you. How do you feel? Do you back off? Do you walk away? Do you look for another alternative? What does she do? Nothing yet, because it says that his disciples say to him, send her away, because she just won't shut up. And he says, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he's making the point that this Canaanite woman, even though you can trace that Jesus actually has Canaanites in his own lineage, Rahab, not Rahab, sorry, um, Tamar and, and Ruth, didn't come to you, came to you. But she comes and doesn't quit. She comes and she worships him and says, again, Lord, help me. And he says, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. How do you feel now? You just call me a dog. <laughs> do you back off? So Jesus is trying to tell us about this story. Do you see something? She doesn't quit the first time. She doesn't quit the second time. Even when he calls her a dog, something in her rises up and she turns and says to Jesus, but even the dogs 
eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus says, you cheeky woman, how dare you say that? Does he say that? He doesn't say that. What he says is, oh woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. Chasing hard after God, even when it's difficult, even when it seems as if he's making it impossible for us, even when the way is, 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 is obstructed with things, even when it's taking longer than we want it to take, still chasing after him, still trading, still working, still pursuing him with faith that is substantive, that is evidence that says, you know what? God is good and God's given me good gifts. He's given me talents. He's given me time. He's given me the ability to make money. He's given me resources. He's given me the ability to do this, that, that, and the other. He's given me these connections. And what am I going to do with it? I'm absolutely not going to bury it in the ground. I'm going to work with it and I'm going to take risk with it. And I'm going to take risk according to the faith that he's put in me to do the kingdom things that he says I can do. I can do them. You can do them. There are dreams that you've had. There are things that the Lord has whispered to you. Things he's shown you that he's calling you to. Things he's calling us as a, as a congregation, even as a family of churches, to walk into, to step into with boldness, with confidence. Not to play it safe, but to take great, great, great kingdom risk for his purposes. Why? Because God is good. God is good. Without faith, Hebrews says, 11.6, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must firstly believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Leave that up there for a minute, please. Just like the Canaanite woman sought him with diligence, just like she said, I'm not letting go of you. I'm not going to take your put down. I'm not going to take your no. I'm not going to take how difficult you make this for me. And it's weird because the good God isn't doing it for bad purposes. Maybe Jesus was doing it because he's like, you know what? I see her faith. Just, just make it a little harder for her. She comes again. He's thinking, we're getting there. She's beginning to see the faith that's within her. Pushes her back again. And the faith rises up like this great and mighty faith. The scripture says that our faith, I think it's 1 Peter 1, 7. Our faith is more precious than gold. When the Father makes it hard for us, when the Father makes it not the simplest thing to do, when it makes it as if we cannot, remember, he rewards those who diligently seek him, which means keep going, keep going, keep working, keep risking, keep moving ahead, keep taking chances for kingdom purposes. And I'm going to go through a series of statements that are some of the things that I've sometimes said to God. And after everyone, I just want you to just tell us out loud, God is good. So when I say, God, I didn't get very much, we say, but. True? When we say, I don't like the gifts you gave me, but. I didn't get enough, God. You gave me too much. I can't cope with all these many things that I can seem to do or so on and so forth. But I wish I had what put in there somebody else has. But I wish I had the success that somebody else had. But I don't know what to do with it. I'm afraid of losing it. 
I'm afraid of making mistakes. People will laugh at me. I cannot. I will not. I should not. See? We trade because we know God is good. One thing. We trade because we know that God is good. We don't bury, because that's not a natural response, is it? We risk at least some within our abilities because God is good. I hope I've helped with understanding of that particular parable. How do we do, Brian? Okay. And we're going to sing about the goodness of God as we prepare now to come to communion. There's a song that I think it was a Brownsville song. One of the lines in it said that the the cross of Christ is proof enough that you are good. And so as we prepare to come to communion, would you close your eyes and just sing something with me? We don't need the words because the simple words are God is so good. God is so good. God is so good. He's so good to me. Just close your eyes and sing this and meditate on it before we come to this table. Give us wise understanding, Lord, of every good gift that you have given us, Lord, and the purpose for your good gifts. Trusting, Lord, in you being the one who brings and gives the increase by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord. We say to you a thousand times, yes, yes, Lord. Cause us to be faithful, Lord. Cause us to work and give us wisdom to trade wisely, that when you return, you may look at each person here today and say to them, well done, good and faithful servant. The tables are open now, two at the back, two at the front. And we do this, eating the bread, drinking the juice, remembering our God is 